I get to my first slide. We are in our 90 days of transformation. Um, we're about halfway through. We're getting close to being halfway through. So um, I hope that the first season of preparation was really good for you in that season of Advent where we got ready to celebrate Christ's coming and we thought about the role of hope and joy and love and peace in our lives. And now we're into this phase of listening and listening is hard it is one of the most humbling tasks you can undertake because listening means that we sit and we take in more than we give out and that always sounds good wow we get to take we get to receive but generally uh, listening means that we're going to receive whatever comes and not just what we want to come so Last week we talked about how we need to listen intently. We need to give attention to God and how important that is that we're paying attention or we don't hear it. And so this week we're going to look at how we listen internally. I'm going to go up here because I think the microphone may not uh, get as much feedback from up here. So we're going to talk about listening internally and so... For some of us, this is going to be probably a new and a foreign concept. For others of us, this is something we've experienced. And as I describe it, you're going to go, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Pastor. Last week, I, I made this observation. <clears throat> I said that, you know, when I'm at the Y working out, I've noticed that everybody around me has headphones on. And um, a friend of mine here at Christmas time gave me uh, a set of Bluetooth headphones and I do the same thing. I put these headphones on, I have some music, and then I got a little thing, an app on my phone that tells me, you've exercised for 10 minutes, and it's really encouraging, and she makes me feel really healthy. Um, but here's what happened this week. Uh, I went to work out at the Y, and I got out my little Bluetooth headphones, and I'd forgotten to recharge them. And so I got that experience of being there and listening to everybody huffing and puffing in the machines, you know, buzzing as the treadmills run and the ellipticals and the weights clank around as people are lifting weights. Um, and it wasn't nearly as enjoyable. And so here I was saying, well, you know, here we are. We all act like we need headphones, but... You know, I have to admit, I was a little grumpy having to listen to everybody else's exercising when I'd rather listen to some great music and this voice in my ears going, you've exercised 20 minutes. This is greatly improving your fitness. That's exactly what it said. So, <clears throat> I would suggest that not having those headphones on was hard, but, you know, that's an external thing, and... I had to just kind of work through that and go, okay, you know, well, stay on task, stay on the treadmill, keep it going, get it done. Don't be distracted by huffing and puffing around you. You see, it, it, sometimes it's hard to hear things. And for some of us, it's harder to hear the voice of the Lord than it is for others. It's not at all different, really, to... Some of us whose ears just aren't tuned to sounds. Some of us who are a little bit more hard of hearing. And part of the trouble that we have is uh, we struggle because there's so much external noise. And we talked about that last week. If we're going to listen intently, there's 
There's noise and there's voices that we've got to set aside because they're a distraction to us. I, I found something interesting um, a few years ago, and I had to ask our daughter if this was true. But there's a sound that uh, some businesses are playing outside in front of their businesses that is a high-pitched sound because they found that young people, particularly people under the age of 21, were congregating and loitering in front of their businesses and they didn't want them there. So they played this high-pitched sound and scientists have found that this high-pitched sound, that their ears, these young people's ears, hear it. But generally, once you pass the age of about 25, you can no longer hear that. And that's just a matter of wear and tear, that, that the bones in our ears that actually receive those vibrations and translate them into sound get worn down. And so we go, the, you know... Uh, the, the people like me that they want to come to their store that might not go there when you see a bunch of young people hanging around, they don't, we don't hear that, and so it doesn't bother us, but the young people standing there go, oh, that sounds terrible, and they walk away. Now, that's kind of a mean thing to do. But the truth is that, that this external noise affects those young people, and it's unpleasant to them, And it doesn't affect me because those bones in my ears have worn enough. I've lived enough years. And so there's kind of, sounds like a rhyme, there's years in my ears. And so those bones don't resonate like they used to. And that external noise is gone. And I don't hear it. So sometimes we silence things. And when we silence things, we, we silence more than we intended to. And so the external noise wears us down and we don't hear as well anymore. And then there's this, some of us like to call this selective hearing where we hear perfectly well but the, the, the thing that we're hearing is unpleasant. So for these young people, it's this frequency that just doesn't sound good. It sounds kind of like a mosquito to them. And occasionally I notice this not with other people but with my dog. And so I'll be sitting and uh, listening to music or I'll be watching TV or even sometimes just sitting there reading a book and my dog is laying there on the floor and is, in, you know, quite sedate. And then all of a sudden my dog picks its head up and looks around and I have heard nothing. But there's some frequency that hits her and she is paying attention and if it's really unpleasant, she stands up and starts barking, and then I do, I hear her, and that's unpleasant. But, you know, in life, there are messages that the Lord wants to send us. There's things that God wants to say, but it's an unpleasant message. It's something we don't want to hear, and so we hold it back, or we don't accept it. I was listening to a podcast. Um, there's a podcast I listen to occasionally. And I think Stephen listens with me on this one. It's called The Hidden Brain. And they were talking this week about people not wanting to receive certain information and the psychology of that. And, and um, so they talked about two things you always need to be willing to listen to, that you always need to be willing to receive, is information about your health and information about your economics, your finances. You always should be willing to listen to those things. And, and yet... <laughs> 
those are things that, if it's unpleasant, we are doing an incredible job of going, uh, I know my doctor's going to tell me I need to lose weight and I need to exercise, or my doctor's going to tell me I have to have surgery and I don't want to hear that. And so the host of this, he, he said, of course we need to hear that because it threatens our lives and our livelihood, and so we need to hear those, that information. But then at the end of the podcast, he told the story about playing some weekend sports and hurting his ankle, and they took him to the emergency room, and he said, I think it's just sprained, and the doctor looked at it, and he goes, that's no sprain. Your ankle's broken, and I'm going to operate on it. And he said, no, you need to x-ray it because I'm sure it's just sprained. And the doctor said, no, I've seen this before. It's broken. And they did do the x-rays and he brought them back and he showed the man. And uh, it was broken. So it's an unpleasant message. It's unpleasant information. And so we hold it back. And sometimes we do that with God because God wants to change us in ways that are uncomfortable and ways that challenge us and get us out of routines that we've, we've worked our lives into, routines that are perhaps unhealthy and are not helping us. And we say, well, I'm just not going to listen to that information. And we hold God at harm's length because we think it's an unpleasant message. And then there's this thing, this compromised hearing, where just over time, or like I said, those bones have worn down. Or for some of us, we're hard of hearing, and thankfully, and by the way, if you didn't know this, uh, I should tell you, this would be a great time to tell you, that there's hearing-assisted devices for here in our church. A couple of you use them. So if you come and it's hard to hear me, uh, you can put this little device in your ear, and it broadcasts from our tech booth back there, and you can hear it. And some of us have hearing assisted devices that are in there all the time, hearing aids that reside in our ears all the time because we don't hear very well. When, uh, when my oldest sister was in high school, she was complaining about not being able to hear the teacher. And so my dad and mom took her for a hearing test and we found out that my sister was legally deaf. And we had no idea. We had no idea that her hearing was so compromised for her whole childhood. And we figured out that she had figured out how to read lips. And so if you encounter my sister these days, and and when I'm around her, I look and I see if she has her hearing aids in. Because if she doesn't, I have to tap her on the shoulder and get her attention. And she turns around and I go, hey. (laughs) She goes, what? And she doesn't hear much of the hey, but she sees my mouth move and... She's become extremely adept at telling what we're saying. It got to the point when, we were, when I was a young adult, I was sitting with her in a restaurant, and I looked across the restaurant, and there was a young couple over there, and they were arguing. And so I said, hey, Angie, come over here and sit with me. And so she came with my side, and then when she sat with me, I go, see them? What's going on? I got reprimanded for that. But anyway, fun, fun time. But, you know, having this compromised hearing, all these things that happen to us physically as we hear happen to us spiritually as we hear. Our lives become filled with external stuff. There's, there's messages that come in that we don't want to hear. And then over time, based on our resistance to the Lord, our ability to hear what He has to say becomes diminished. Well, I want to come to look at the word of the Lord. This Sunday in the church calendar in, uh, around the world, uh, we've come through Advent, the Christmas season, Epiphany was last week, and 
This Sunday is what we call the baptism of Christ. And we look at that passage where Christ was baptized. And um, as we do that, we learn some things because something is happening here when Christ is baptized where people hear something they've never heard before. So there's this sense that our hearing can be assisted. God can impart information to us that we've never heard, that we never knew we could hear before, and we have no receptors for that. You see, there's something about people who have never heard from God, hearing from God the first time, and it just it rocks their world. Kayleen and I have friends, college friends, whose uh, more than one of their children have been born deaf. And um, one of their sons, several years ago, many years ago, was given a cochlear implant where they, where they go into the brain and they uh, insert these electrodes in the brain and then you have a little uh, kind of a speaker-looking thing that attaches on the outside of their skull. And uh, their son, I believe his name's Oliver, was the youngest in the United States, I think the youngest ever in the world to get one at the time. And if you, if you want to look at something that's amazing, go online and, and go on YouTube and just, just uh, type in cochlear implant. You'll see these children who have had this surgery and then they hook it up and they turn it on. And these children that are just sitting there and they're maybe playing with a toy and then when they turn it on, all of a sudden they look up and they look around. And there's a couple of them and then they just prepare. You get your box of Kleenex. Some of you have seen them, Right? Because there's a little, here's this little toddler sitting on his mom's lap. And she says his name. And he looks up at her and his face just lights up. All all of a sudden, this person I know and love that I've never heard before, I just heard their voice. And I would suggest to you that those of us that have known and loved Jesus but have the sense that I've never heard his voice, you have that experience in store for you. You see, the Lord has a desire, I believe, and the capacity to speak to all of us. I don't think that the Lord sequesters his voice only for certain people. I don't think the Lord says, you know what, I'm going to speak to Hank on Monday at 10 o'clock every week, and the rest of you have to wait till Sunday to hear what i got to say. Thank the Lord he doesn't work that way. But instead, he gives the capacity for us to hear together. And this capacity is an internal thing. At least it is for me. I'm sure that there are one or two of you out there that would say, you have a story, and I was facing something, or I needed to make a decision, and I heard an audible voice. I have family that have said that. Heard an audible voice, and I knew it was God, and I responded. I'm going I'm to let you in on a little secret. That has never happened to me. I have never heard an audible voice. I've asked. I've asked in several different ways. Lord, if you really want me to do this, you better be really clear and really loud and really profound. And I've never heard the audible voice. But this I know. I have heard the internal voice. And there were times when I heard the internal voice and I wasn't quite sure it was him. And so I had to go and get confirmation. I've heard this sense of moving inside of me. And I had to ask, okay, God, is this real? Is this you? And there are other times when I had that sense of moving that I didn't have to ask. I knew. 
I knew this is what needs to take place. And I responded. So there's this thing that the Lord does with the power of his Holy Spirit when he comes into the person who welcomes him and he sets up residence and then he begins to impart and to give his voice to us. And it's kind of this holy sixth sense where all of a sudden in, in, in addition to seeing and touching and tasting and smelling and hearing with our ears, we now have hearts that have become receptors to the Holy Spirit that now it moves us in ways that the rest of the world goes, how did you know to do that? In our heritage, in our uh, Wesleyan heritage, for those of us who grew up in this, there was a there was a way of explaining this, that when the Holy Spirit came in to a person and became resident in their lives, that they now had a greater capacity to hear and understand and respond to God. And one of the ways that we described that, we called it a second work of grace. You see, we believe the first work of grace which probably isn't the first work of grace, but the first work of grace is when God saves us. He, he forgives us of our sins and he, he sets us free from that guilt. That probably isn't the first work of grace because we've lived around God our whole lives and God has been intervening and doing things and protecting us and getting our attention by his grace forever. He has been doing that. And those are first, second, third, I don't know, thousandth work of grace before that work of grace of of actually justifying us from our sins and setting us free and that washing us clean by the blood of the cross. But then there's this thing that, that John Wesley pointed to where he said, you know, having the Holy Spirit resident and active in our lives is even more. And we argue about this. Christians argue about this. Some say, well, it happens all at salvations. And some say, no, it happens later. Some say when it happens, there's certain things you can see. And others say, no, it's always unique to the individual and we can have those debates. That's not really where I want to go today. But here's this thing. This thing that when the Holy Spirit shows up in people's lives, our capacity to hear and respond to him gets greatly increased. And it's changed. And it changes us. And so here's this passage in Luke where Jesus is coming to be baptized. And some of you will remember the story. It's his cousin. It's John the Baptist or John the Baptizer who's going around and he's preaching. And he's getting people's attention. And John is weird. He's strange. And I'm telling you, I like it when God uses ordinary people. I'm really uncomfortable when God uses strange people because I don't want to be strange, but I want to work for God. John the Baptist was weird. He lived out in the, out in the boonies. And, and he dressed on, with stuff that he just gathered from living out in the bush. And he ate stuff out there. He was like super vegan paleo. But he would come into town, and I'm guessing, you know, he lived out there in the bush, so he probably wasn't well-groomed, and he hadn't bathed in a while. And he would come into town, and people were like, man, this guy is strange, and it's uncomfortable to be around him. But he would preach. 
And people started responding. Somehow, the words that he said, they heard it, resonated, and they started to come, and they, they repented of their sin, is what it tells us. And then John would take them, and he would baptize them. They'd go find water, and I'm sure everybody was grateful for that. Hey, John the Baptist is getting in the water. Cleaning up. And he was helping other people clean up their lives. And so this cousin of Jesus that has this strange, weird ministry is out there doing this stuff, and people hear it, and they respond. And then this is what happens. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be that Messiah. He was so strange, they thought, maybe he's the one. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Wow, this is incredible stuff. We're going to jump ahead here a little bit to verse 21. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. You see, this incredible thing happens where people hear John the Baptist and they respond. And then Jesus comes and he's responding. And he legitimizes what John the Baptist is doing by saying, I need to be baptized too, which I have all kinds of questions about Jesus himself being baptized. But anyway, he, this is what he does. And he comes there, and as Jesus comes into the water, we hear this, and it's, it's a strange description. We don't fully understand that the heavens opened in bodily form. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And of course, artists have tried to render this several different ways. And so you have these clouds with rays of light and a bird flying down and all kinds of ways to try and help us grasp this. And I would just suggest that none of them do it justice. None of them do it justice. Just like me trying to explain to you those times when I've sensed that the Lord was saying, hey, Hank, do this. Hey, Hank, get together with them. I cannot explain it in ways that do it justice. And so if you feel like you've missed out, you've missed out. But here's the thing. It's this sense that in this moment, something amazing is happening where Jesus is being baptized by his cousin, his weird, strange cousin, who says, I'm not the Messiah. And at that moment, heaven opens up And there's this sense that this is the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit is the one confirming it. For those of you who are going to be joining us for Elements Thursday night, we're going to talk about the Trinity, but in a few weeks we're going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit is who we are told brought Christ to the womb of Mary. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that when Jesus comes to be baptized, confirms his identity, his calling, and his giftedness. And it's that same Holy Spirit that that several days from now on Pentecost Sunday will celebrate where this same Holy Spirit came and lit on the disciples. Again, in this strange way that is hard to explain and the earth seemed to shake and tongues like fire came down. Weird stuff, I know. But when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, it is always difficult to explain. I call it that second work of grace because for some of us we might think, you know, I haven't had that so I guess I'm not a Christian or I guess I'm not a very good Christian or somehow I've missed the boat. So I want to share another story with you that comes out of our readings, scripture readings of this day and that comes from Acts chapter 8. So we're going to jump forward and Jesus has died and Jesus has been resurrected and he's ascended back into heaven and his followers are going around and they're sharing the good news of the gospel and they hear about some people who heard the good news. The disciples hear about people who heard the good news. So we pick it up in Acts 8, 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. So let's, let's just stop there for a minute. They heard that, that these people way out in Samaria heard the message and accepted it. That they were accepting this story about Jesus Christ. And, and so here's, you know, let's put it into context for us a little bit. We're here in Wichita. And we find out that the people down in Oklahoma have heard about Jesus and responded. Way out there. And we come together and we say, you know what, we got we heard these, you know, we got phone calls. We heard that they heard about Jesus down there. And we get together and we go, okay, we're gonna send a couple people down there to find out what's going on. We're thankful. We want people to hear about Jesus, but we're gonna go and we're gonna find out what's going on. So in verse 15, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I've just got to do this because it's a central part to what I believe about God and what we as free Methodists teach about God. You see, these people were already defined as believers in Jesus. As soon as they arrived, they prayed with these new believers. They are believers. And yet they're praying that these believers receive the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on and it it elaborates. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's this sense that, okay, wait a minute, this this is incomplete. We don't have that resident voice. We don't have that internal capacity or or we have the capacity but we don't have the internal presence yet and so they pray for them and they say well we're going to pray that you are and in their terminology baptized in the holy spirit now when we use that terminology some of us get a little bit nervous because our brothers and sisters who are a little bit more pentecostal like to use that a lot and we tend to not hear that because we have unpleasant things that come along with that right And here's what I would suggest to you. We need not fear the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be afraid of that. If God wants to do great work 
through his spirit, we should welcome that. So we go on to verse 17. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. It seems pretty definitive to me. It seems pretty clear that when they prayed for them and these people were open to and asked for that, it happened. So I, I would just suggest to you, if somebody has said to you, or maybe you've heard this in the past, you say, well, I prayed to receive the Holy Spirit and it didn't happen. I don't think it works that way. I don't think God withholds any of himself from us unless we reject it. Unless we reject it. Again, if you come to our elements class, we're going to talk later about how salvation works and how we have a free will. And I think God respects our capacity to welcome him or reject him. But I think when we say, please, Lord, he comes rushing in. I think he comes rushing in. In fact, I don't think the Lord withholds himself from anyone who calls out. So here's the thing. If we ask, then, let's talk a little bit more about how this happens. I think it happens on several layers or in several ways simultaneously. So there's this, first there's this internal sense for every individual where we're, we're individually able to hear and sense the Spirit of God moving us and helping us in ways that, that are oftentimes hard to explain. Many of us resonate with this. We've had those experiences where we were in an uncomfortable situation and the Lord gave us words. Or we weren't quite sure what to do and the Lord gave us a direction or something that we we could do that, that made sense. Or maybe we were just in a really bad spot and he gave us peace. I think that's part of the internal work of the Holy Spirit. That's that individual internal thing. But at the same time that God is resident in you and in me, when we are together as believers, he's here among us. That's what scripture tells us. If two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so I think it goes from just being an internal thing where God's in you and God's in me, but God in you might be different than God in me. I think once we come together and we start to live together and we start to pursue God together, what happens corporately is greater than the sum of its parts. And so I think that God, through his spirit, is able to do stuff internally with us individually, but he's able to do things corporately with us that are even stronger and more powerful. And here's the, here's the key to this. I think what God does corporately is very consistent. And what I mean by that is this. When God begins to reveal things to us together, we start to look at each other and go, is that so for you? Yeah, that's so for me too. Years ago, I was invited to a service by some friends of ours who are old order Mennonite. They were neighbors of ours and they said, you know, you should come to our church this Sunday night because we're receiving an adult into the order. And that doesn't happen very often. You know, most old order Mennonites, you grow up in that faith, that tradition, and you go on. And they said, but this is a young man who's been working on one of our farms, and, and he's chosen to 
join our fellowship. And so we're receiving him, and he's going to be baptized. And uh, I was, frankly, quite curious. And uh, our friends, Brad and Melody, were just delightful friends. I, I'd, I'd, be lo- I'd love to do this. Let's do this. So we went over for this church service, and old order Mennonite, you know, uh, the men sat on this side, and the women sat on that side, segregated. Beautiful singing, no instruments, none of this paraphernalia up here. But just just a cappella singing. And singing hymns that we knew and loved. And I was sitting there with my brother-in-law and he sang bass and I sang tenor. And one of the, one of the old Mennonite fathers of the church there turned around after we'd sung one song. He goes, you boys have obviously sung these hymns before. <laughs> yeah, we have. And then it came time for this young man. He came up to the front and they said, okay, you need to give your testimony. You need to tell us how you've come to faith. And I would just suggest to you, I've I've been talking to a couple of you, and one thing that just gives life and energy to the fellowship of believers is to hear what God's doing. And so here he told about how he had come there to work on a farm because he had gotten in trouble and where he was from and the city he lived in and his mother was a cousin or something like that, and he ended up there, and, and over the year of helping on the farm, he had become open to the Lord and chose to connect with that Mennonite fellowship. It was wonderful. Then after he had given his testimony, and, and he sat down on the front, front row, this side, the men were on this side, and he, he sat there. Then one of the men got up and said, is there anyone here who can confirm this? Has there anyone, is there anyone here who has seen his life and the change in his life who could say, yeah, I think he's a believer and a follower of Jesus from what I've seen. And then he sat down and, and a man got up and walked up. He goes, well, he works for me on my farm. And I can tell you that he has been listening to what I've told him and he's been praying with me and he's reading scripture and he's talking about all these things. And then, then he used this phrase. And every subsequent person that got up and talked about this young man used this exact phrase. He said, and he ended his commentary with this. He said, I find that his spirit agrees with my spirit. And he sat down. And then a lady got up and she came up to the front and she said, well, this young man, I've been around him at church. I've gotten to know him a little bit and, and he's been very polite and I've I've seen God at work in his life. And then she said, and I find that his spirit agrees with my spirit. And she sat down. By the third or fourth person, I realized that this was part of the ritual. This was the way they did things. But with each person that came and used those words, it resonated inside of me. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is right. This is exactly how God works. That there's something internal inside of me that synchronizes with something internal inside of you. And we start nodding and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it becomes a powerful synergism of spirituality between us and God. And so there are times when I look at you and you say things and I go... I don't necessarily use the words, but I'm saying internally, I'm going, your spirit agrees with my spirit. Tuesday night, Kayleen and I went to visit Randy and Janice Clausen, and uh, it's 
stood around the bed there, Janice and Kayleen and I held hands, held Randy's hands, and I had read scripture, which uh, elicited a lot of tears, and then we prayed together, and it was hard. And then Janice said, I'm going to follow you out, and so we walked out of his room, and we got out, and, and she just wept, and we wept, and we embraced each other, and in that moment, in our pain, her spirit agreed with my spirit. So sometimes it's not just a happy, joyful, yay, raw kind of a thing, but it's a grieving thing where the Lord goes, this is the suffering of my servant. And when we laugh together, we should also be prepared to weep together. And so there in that lobby of that care home, I just had this sense that God is in you and God is in me and he's saying the same things and it hurts. Or there are those moments when we're standing out in the foyer and we're watching these little ones run and play and scream and jump and I'm smiling and I think what a wonderful gift of life to our church and I look at one of you and before I can even say something I've heard you saying, isn't this wonderful? And your spirit agrees with my spirit. There's something about the wonder of that that resonates deep inside of us where the Holy Spirit resides. So it's corporately consistent. I think it's the things that are not of God that divide us. It's the things that are of God that unite us. And then finally... It's spiritually compelling. I told you that I think God respects our will. But God is powerful. I think my wife respects my will, but she's powerful. Now you guys know what I'm talking about. And so if I go, you know, I'm not going to do that today, she might go, oh, really? That's fine, dear. If that's the way you want to do things. And the rest of the day, I'll be going, I should do that. I really should do that. So I think the Lord sometimes impresses things upon us and we go, you know, Lord, I'm not that interested. Like, okay, that's fine. And then we wrestle with that and then we live with it and it's a compelling thing. We cannot, once we have welcomed God into us, we cannot easily dismiss him. And for that, I am incredibly grateful because there have been so many times in my life and your life where we've welcomed God in and we want to go, okay, no thanks now. And, and that is hard to do because he is so powerful. And he compels us. He draws us. He pulls us in and he speaks. And so when we listen to the Holy Spirit, I think it's compelling. So here's what I want to say to you, friends, in this 90 days of transformation, as we start this listening phase and we say, okay, we're going to listen intently, we're going we're to clear the decks and we're going to make sure that there's space for God to speak, then when we welcome him in, let me tell you, my friends, it is not going to be a weak and feeble thing. It may not be loud and bombastic, but it will be compelling. 
And so just like Elijah, who was waiting to hear from the Lord, and the Lord said, come on, come out of the cave. And then there's this fire and this wind and this earthquake, and God was not in any of those things. And then in this still, small voice, there's the Lord. Last week I said, if you want to hear God, you've got to give him some of your attention. This week, here's my thought for you. If you want to hear God speak, you should invite him in. You should invite him in. Don't, don't leave him outside. Don't leave him at arm's length. Don't, don't settle for just getting your toes into the kingdom. But say, okay, Lord, just come in and take it up. Just, just take up all the space you want. Make yourself at home here.